0: Hello.
1: Um, and welcome to another episode of Where's My Freaking Dressing Room? A podcast where we discuss the world of opera and what things are really like backstage. My name's Helen.
0: And my name's Alex.
2: Breakdown of the Week.
0: So my breakdown. Uh, I did the classic thing of scheduling way too much stuff. Well done, me. Uh, classic portfolio <laughs> career mistake. Um, so and I was like, great. I have a little break in uh, singing actually at the moment, so I'm just going to pack in the tutoring. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, make the dollar just just <laughs> thing of the money and just <laughs> just tutor, tutor, tutor. Which was fine for the beginning, and you know I was I was quite satisfied. And you know when you're sort of. When you're really busy and you're enjoying it.
1: Yeah, it's almost like adrenaline, isn't it? Yes,
0: exactly. But then it got too much. Um, And I was thinking to myself, um, am I going to make it through this period that I've scheduled for myself, this very busy period? Um, Let's see. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) See you next week. And it got to a point where I realized that it was too much because um, I'd got home I'd finally bought a box of mince pies. I've been holding <laughs> Uh No tal bene, listeners. Uh, uh, mince pies are the best things in the world, and I'm obsessed with them. I got home, bearing in mind there were 12 mince pies in this pack. I got it out, and I dropped it on the floor.
1: Aww. And
0: I teared up. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and, it, and at that moment, I was like, right, I'm tired. Uh, I'm doing too much. <laughs> Uh, so i cancelled everything and it was great uh, oh, so nice <laughs> yeah but i'm glad that i realized and didn't keep pushing through Proud that i had reached a point um where a mince pie on the floor caused me to well up yeah uh, wow that's a, <laughs> which is that's... very stressful for me one um, of 12
1: as well you had 11 other uh, you know opportunities. so many don't worry eat i'm on
0: eating one in a minute as we speak it's gonna be great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so break. that
0: was my my breakdown of the week
1: yeah, yeah I'm proud of or you near that's a nice down, one let's call it yeah yeah I like that very much I think my breakdown um is not exactly the same but has a similar out- outcome I think um so I'm back in Switzerland at the moment and um, it's quite quiet here too and I've just had a really exceptionally busy like few weeks uh you know coming back and doing the live podcast and then doing some stuff back in London with uh my ensemble Levdi and so now it's slower here. And a lot of things I was supposed to be doing this week have been cancelled for one reason or another and basically because it's so empty I'm feeling really like weird about it you know and unsurprisingly a bit lonely and for me as a result of feeling these feelings I have massively overpacked like my work schedule because I was just like okay I've got all this free time amazing like I can get ahead of this work that I do for this charity I can prep all this stuff for the podcast I can do this stuff for Christmas boom 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 I can talk to this person I can talk to that person and um um, yesterday, just as I was like getting ready to go to bed, I, I just, I was like standing at the window and you know, when like you just a really clear thought comes to you and I was just like, I just feel under so much pressure, but it's like all of that pressure is entirely self-imposed. Yeah. Like, the best part. I've done that because I don't want to think about the fact that I'm on my own
0: <laughs> and nah. I just was
1: like okay Helen, we need to massively just like rebalance the scales of it so today I like made an effort uh, so like you know I, I, I've been setting my alarm for the last four days for no reason just because I think it's good m. to have a, r- a routine and I was like okay this morning I'll just wake up naturally so we did that and then um I like for lunch. I like took a proper break. I went to the lake. I read my book, blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna try and like properly take time off this evening too. And I'm not finding it easy because I'm obviously having to deal with some weird emotional things. But in the same breath, I do feel a bit less like I'm about to fucking kill somebody.
0: <laughs> mm, very good.
1: <laughs> so uh, similar to you really in that like, we both do quite a similar thing to to handle certain situations. We overpack. Pack it in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, yeah, I know what you mean. There's part of you that feels great for packing in, but then a few days later, it's just like, no, that's that's not working. So, yeah, I stopped, recognised it, and I'm just going to try and uh, slow down again a little bit because it's not the answer. The breakdown of the week today we are very excited to be welcoming a special guest, pianist Kevil Shah. Alex and I had the fortune of meeting Kevil whilst at university together. After graduating from Trinity Hall College, Cambridge, Kevil then studied at the Royal Academy of Music, where he graduated with a distinction. Kevil's gone on to be a hugely successful pianist with highlights this year, including a recital at Wigmore Hall with Carita Matila and a debut recital at the Mozarteum Stiftung with Rolando Villazón and Theodore or Platt. But most importantly, Alex and I have spent many evenings with Kevil listening to our favourite recordings of Maria Callas and Beverly Sills, and basically that's the main reason we've got him on the pod. Welcome, Kevil!
0: Hi,
2: guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure.
1: So, you know, a nice, simple, broad one, I think, to get us started in this chat. Um, We'd love to know a bit about what kind of encouraged you to get involved in music and ultimately pursue it as a career.
2: Mm, Well... I guess there was like always music in the house and like my dad really enjoyed music and listening to music like Bollywood and like Indian classical music and stuff. So like that was always around me. And we just as a family really enjoyed music. So there was always stuff playing. And like I remember like we had our favorite napkin called Christmas CD that we would play on repeat at Christmas time for like a month and drive everyone crazy. (laughs) And so I, I always felt like I had some kind of my ear and my heart enjoyed listening to music like i had some kind of connection with it um and my parents wanted me and my sister to like learn an instrument for you know sort of holistic broad education so i learned the piano didn't think much of it learned the flute for a while thought even less of that but when i was at secondary school i started singing in a choir and just had a sense that it was really enjoyable like it I really it gave me this feeling that nothing before or since has and i didn't really think about career or working with music so I'm not really sure what that would look like I had no sort of exposure to like the classical world at that point but I just as I was sort of in my teenage years I started becoming more and more interested in this whole world of music and I had sort of f- flights of fancy that I'd become like principal conductor of the Royal Opera House and all sorts of like it's crazy ideas oh. <laughs> um but of course, and what's scary now is that you start to like meet people who you sort of are almost contemporaries with, who are almost doing things like that. And it's like, okay, that actually may have been possible if, I had, if I'd wanted it or had some idea of how to get there. Um, but I went to university and studied music with you guys, of course. And even at that point, I wasn't really sure what I would want to do with a career in music. But it was at university that I started to come across the world of song and playing the piano with singers. And that opened up a whole world of for me like really fulfilling music making because it was involving poetry it was collaborative it really fueled my imagination it required my imagination like I really felt like my imagination was an important part of making this music come to life and I never really had that sensation with playing solo um so it's just sort of snowballed since then I, I really don't feel like I've planned much of it but it it's just kind of kept going and it's I'm yeah it's really nice
1: and there was never a moment of like, maybe I'll be a singer. Or like, was there, was there like <laughs> a potential like... There
2: was. Yeah? <laughs> I feel like yeah. I can see it in your eyes that you know that there was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just I, eking it out I, of you. I, uh, I stopped playing the piano for a whole year in my first year at Cambridge. And I just, I took singing lessons and I was, because I was around all these really talented singers, like Hannah Daniels and Alex Simpson. <laughs> and <laughs> and I was just, I was really jealous because I thought, oh my goodness, like they seem to have so much fun and, and it's... It, At Cambridge, like singing seemed to be a very social thing because there was all this choir world and all this sort of other stuff that went with it and opera society. And I felt a little bit on the outside of that. And I thought, okay, well, if I become a singer, then this can be what I do. Um, But for whatever reason, after a year of singing lessons, I, I just I don't think I remember. I don't think I felt, oh, I'm not good enough, although clearly I wasn't. It was more just that I'd come across playing with singers. And that seemed to be really a lot more enjoyable for me. And it seemed to get me as close to singing as possible without actually doing the singing thing, which is better for everybody. So yeah, there was a a short period of singer desire. Do you think that your stint as a singer,
0: as a, as a famous tenor, do you think that has influenced the way that you've worked with
2: singers since? I think my FARC is ambitious baritone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, in a number of ways. I mean, one, being comfortable with different languages from singing yeah. them and also just generally like being someone that enjoys languages, that has proved invaluable because I I can get a kind of intimacy or familiarity with the material a lot quicker than people that don't have that kind of uh, experience. And of course, just in a really basic way, actually understanding something about what it f- physically feels like to have to breathe, to have to prepare sound, and to have a kind of you know singing has this it's a a two-way street right either the air is coming in or the air is coming out and I think instrumental playing can if you're not careful that can always default to all the air always coming out and actually having to think about this being a, a two a flow that happens in two directions has been really helpful both for when working with singers to understand that mechanism but also just in music making in general, to to mm. have this sense that there are that the musical momentum swings in both directions and doesn't just like hurtle forward relentlessly.
1: Yeah, for sure. It actually, in in many ways, makes you the perfect person for the episode that we wanted to make today. Because we really wanted to talk kind of about the difference between singers and instrumentalists. Because on the pod a lot, we talk about uh, essentially the unique world of singing, the various things that we do, that we have to do in order to be singers, the various sacrifices that we make in order to kind of have this lifestyle. And, you know, when Alex and I were planning this series, one of the questions we were asking ourselves was, you know, is it that unique to singing, some of the things that we do, or really is this kind of just music in general? And so I suppose as a pianist and as a pianist that understands singing and works with singers, we'd love to know from your end like what you feel are maybe the biggest differences you see between instrumentalists and, and singers, if you could call it differences.
2: Yeah, okay I mean, if we take it out of the context of specific kinds of things, let's not let's not think about singing as opera versus singing as choir or so that's just singing as yeah, a, no, no, no. as a mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. an actual th- as a thing that one does versus playing instrument as a thing one does i think there's an obvious physicality with singing that doesn't necessarily translate to all instrumentalists in the same level so for example i guess if you're a wind player or a brass player you do feel that physicality quite instinctively because your whole body is required in order to create sound much like in singing but if you're a pianist or a string player it is very easy to forget that you have a body and to sort of just use very local uh muscles because in order to play the piano it's the hammer hitting the string that makes the sound, so whatever part of the body you want to use you can use and if that means just the fingers and it's just the fingers um as it happens, I think that actually piano playing and string playing are as physical as singing is it's just that you can get away with not being physical more easily yeah. as an instrumentalist whereas if you're a singer and you're not physical, if you're not engaged with your body, you mm. won't actually get a healthy sound um and okay, actually, I think the healthiest sound at the piano also comes from being completely physically involved. But you can get further down the line without yeah. having to explore that side of things. I think that's detrimental, but it, it's, it's how I would mm-hmm. say a lot of us are trained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about, how do you think the
0: differences between how singers and instrumentalists work and practice and approach a piece of music? Do you think there are uh, radical differences in that? Or do you think we are? it's actually very similar?
2: Yeah, I think there are quite a lot of differences. I mean... Again, I think my mind is always telling me that, that there, there are way more similarities and we can we should have a lot more in common than we do. But I would say, I guess, because singers have text, mm. the whole world of text preparation is a side of the interpretive process that doesn't have to come into the preparation of a piece of instrumental music. Um, I happen to think that it we would, would benefit a lot from... As instrumentalists we would benefit a lot from considering the ways in which text can help specify intention and clarify emotion Mm -hmm. um but likewise i think as singers there's a huge amount to be gained from thinking in purely musical terms and purely sort of instrumental terms because as instrumentalists we we are obliged to look at harmony rhythm structure articulation as our these are the ingredients with which we cook and as a singer, you can create a perfectly edible dish just thinking about text. I don't think it will be mind-blowing and it certainly wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't advocate for an approach like that at all. But sadly, I do think there are, singers and there is singing that happens which is entirely text orientated that's
1: a nice analogy the cooking analogy oh, yeah, we I we like, like food
2: yeah it's great yeah.
1: I think also there's also with singing the, the drive to get it off copy as quickly as possible so you can like embody the emotion and the drama and the situation in, in whatever form that is that means there isn't so much detail when looking at the actual score itself and that's often something I, I as you say I, I wish we had a bit more of a discipline of really kind of sitting Mm. with the score and studying the score before we take it to to whatever that next stage might be
2: yeah totally I mean I think of course there is this desire to get things off copy because you need to for auditions and for recitals and for competitions and for for the stage if you're doing anything operatic or anything that's staged then you can't be with score um but I truly believe that it would be easier to memorize if the, the, the levels at which you have encountered the score are more than just the level of the text plus melody. You know, yeah, I think of the singers that I work with that, that most embody, actually, the people that are able to most physically and dramatically embody music on the stage or on the platform, they're the people who have fully internalised every detail of the music so that every mm. time they are, every time they're not singing they have complete awareness of how the other music, i.e. the piano part or the orchestra or whatever, how the other music is integral to the expressive intention, but also the the detail and refinement of their expressive intentions when they're singing is drawn almost entirely from the musical context. It's not text alone. I mean, if it were text alone, we could all just be poetry reciters, but mm. they're, they're actually using all of the musical detail to refine a very specific uh, or to create a very specific character
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah.
0: so true and also I think well I'm sure we've all come across singers like this I remember one one singer who said oh it's really awkward like the postlude is so long to this song like what am I supposed to do just stand there like a lemon it's like um maybe just like what's but the you music saying just because yeah. you're not singing and there's no text doesn't mean that the music has stopped Right, and that the meaning of the song has socked. Yeah, but yeah, I had no. touch. I, to that. I think, Sorry. I
2: think you know, a a, a a similar, if a slightly different thing, but if you're a concerto soloist and there is a orchestral interlude or an extended passage where the orchestra plays, and you don't, for example, at the opening of a concerto, like a Mozart concerto, there might be like a quite a quite a lengthy uh, orchestral introduction. Of course if you're at the piano you you don't you're not face up to the audience you don't have this obligation to perform with the orchestra in the way that if you're a singer standing on stage you have to like really embody the orchestral music but I don't think a concerto soloist is sitting on the at the piano kind of twiddling their thumbs and waiting idly until their their, their entry I think they 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 have to know that introduction so well and be f- physically and expressively engage with the flow of the orchestra so that when they produce their first sound at the piano it has it's born of what's come and not like a new start
1: yeah yeah totally. and that
2: is that is exactly the same as as a singer having to you know you think about someone who's singing por di amor or something out of context in a concert there's this enormous orchestral introduction you can't just stand there and mm. be thinking oh my goodness that first note is so Here hard. it comes. Yeah. yeah and and again, it, it's 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 actively it's actively helpful to embody the orchestral introduction in your stature and to fill the orchestral introduction with clear thoughts. You know, the, the whole thing then functions as a massive intake of breath, so that you're fully prepared. So that you have the best possible preparation, and then the first note again, it's just it's just the natural thing that happens when you can't breathe in anymore. You just have yeah. to breathe out, and the and the sound will just. It just comes. Mm. I like that.
1: You briefly touched on it there, but that was another difference that I wanted to get your opinion on. Like the difference in performing, like uh, when you have an instrument versus like a singer, when you, your instrument is inside you and you're working with text. Do you think there's a big difference in kind of performance style? Do you think there is an increased sense of exposure, an increased sense of vulnerability perhaps for singers in that they have to kind of stand at, depending on the context of the recital without any music or anything to kind of perhaps hide behind
2: yeah i i think so i think so i mean i think singers are the bravest musicians i think it's such an enormous let's
1: quote that let's get it's... okay we'll quote <laughs> hello
2: that. yeah. that's nice like it's such an enormous thing to have to You know, for a start, the instrument is inside you. So the ability to separate yourself from your music making is very much harder because you can't just step away from it. You carry your voice wherever you go, whether you like it or not. If you're sounding awful on one day, you have to go home with your awful voice, right? I can just step step away. I mean, I live in a tiny flat, so my piano is by my bed, (laughs) but I can still step away. And on the stage, I think, yeah, there is you can't hide. We say this a lot and it's a bit of a cliche, but you can't hide the singer. And if you try and hide, you you end up shutting your body off in all kinds of unhelpful ways. And it just makes the whole thing worse. As instrumentalists, especially as a pianist, like you have this huge instrument that if you are psychologically so inclined, you can hide behind it. I don't think it's a mm. helpful thing. And I think actually we have a bigger challenge as pianists to to step in front of our instrument and say yes I have this enormous thing but I'm still going to be project myself. That's yeah. a harder thing to do but it's as necessary. But again, I think singers have no option but to expose mm. themselves fully and that is harder. It takes a tremendous amount of of courage and we don't have that to the same extent as instrument as instrumentalists I don't think.
0: Would you say that I don't know, I'm just trying to think how to word this question actually. Um the idea that when, when a singer is performing, you often see, like, their ego is very much attached to their performance, whereas with an instrumentalist, do you find that an ego is not so attached because there's that remove, as in, you know, you're behind a piano, and that piano is the piano at Wigmore Hall, not, like, your piano.
2: That's interesting. Do you know what I'm... Yeah, I do know what you mean. I, mean, I actually... If I'm honest, I, I don't think... I I think it obviously depends artist to artist, singer to singer, instrumentalist to instrumentalist. I actually don't think there is a huge amount of ego that comes through in the best singing I watch on stage. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. the ego is put to one side in the service of a character instead. That's not to say it's without personality of the individual. But I think the individual's personality is reflected in the type of interpretation they make, the, the type of character they build. And I think that's the same for us. It's I want to hear personality in someone's playing, but the personality isn't shouldn't be um, revealed through unmusical or extra-musical things. It's a personality should be revealed through the way in which an artist sculpts the music and, and makes their particular vision or their worldview or their attitude know that you you sculpt it through sound sound is like if i think for both singers and instrumentalists sound is your play-doh and you have to sculpt it in the way you want it's i'm not really impressed by how good a sculptor you are what i'm impressed by is the product you sculpt mm. yeah
1: i think al i think i know what you mean do you mean like there's there's b- more bravado bravado that's a better word
0: sorry yes absolutely i think i
1: understand what you're saying because like it's like when you get a bunch of singers in a room it's loud and it's some i mean not every single singer but it's very like gregarious and i think you're trying to draw a comparison between like when you get a bunch of instrumentalists in the room
0: again depending Mm. on they're just nice and normal yeah i don't know if they're (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, but you're right there is
2: that i think i think to some extent the nature of the career is yeah. responsible for uh putting a certain type of pressure on singers to have a big personality and to to have a profile to have a a usp that that yep. is 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 who they are like i am who i am and it's my personality that makes me so and so and we can think of we can think of musicians that, that come with really Distinct personalities and who definitely carry that in the room with them. They don't leave that to one side; like they come in who they are. I think instrumentalists probably, in general, yeah, are are not so much like that. Although, again, there are there are definitely some instrumentalists who have kind of diva personalities or strong who are strong characters in a room separate from the music. Um, I think singers because the, and this goes on to what we were saying about the, actual, the specific type of singing. If you're a singer that's working in opera or my most singing is collaborative, but particularly in opera, it's a team effort. You're spending a lot of your mm. time around other people. So there's always that group, the kind of group mentalities and the psychologies that come with being in a group that certainly solo instrumentalists, people that do solo recitals for a living and, and spend a lot of their time alone, just don't have... Yeah. You know, yeah. I think if you're someone that spends most of your time practicing alone, traveling alone, performing alone, you're not gonna have the same personality when you're in a group situation as a, a singer who spends their life in rehearsals and traveling together and touring together and you know all the all this. I just think a singer's a whole uh, the conventional singer's training and experience is so much more people orientated that it becomes yes. important. To look after your personality and have a personality, especially if you're a soprano and there are sort of a million lyric sopranos, I would say that personality does count for a lot, and that's no bad thing if it's reflected in the quality of your of your music making.
1: From your perspective, Kevin, as a pianist, as somebody that works for singers day in day out, what do you feel is something that we as singers don't really know about instrumentalists, or something that we don't really take into account
2: mm. when we come
1: in and we work with with pianists, with with other people in ensembles? Uh, yeah. What's, what's the thing singers could take away that perhaps they didn't know about your Okay, th-
2: this is a... I wonder how I phrase this. And I, and this is a massive generalisation, but this is an impression okay. I have, is that I think singers work on a smaller amount of repertoire in any one period of time than an instrumentalist yes. does. Mm, and that's, yeah, that's, fair. that's not to say that I want singers to have more empathy for how much rep a pianist is working on, but somehow... I find that the expectation should be higher for the singer to come to the rehearsal, really kind of knowing their stuff, because the chances are the pianist knows the stuff really, really well, but also has x many other things going on at the same time. Um, and that's just like a thing to know. I'm not saying that it should impact on on the behaviour or that I want any sympathy from the singers I work with. That oh, Keller must be so busy. Therefore, no, not at all. Like that's also part of the one of the differences. I would say is that as instrumentalists, I think we do carry, especially as Pianists that work with singers, we do carry a huge part of the repertoire at any one time, where a singer might be working on one program plus one role, Mm -hmm. and and that's it's just not the same amount of music. So I I guess that that is something which people should bear in mind, if only because I think when it comes to especially I'm thinking like early career days or like sort of music college days, I don't always think that singers have an appreciation for the type of schedule that an instrumentalist has and the diversity of the musical experiences they are juggling. Sort of yeah. if you're a string player that you you have an orchestral project, you also have chamber music, you probably also have a solo recital going on. And yeah, okay, that's the expectation. That's, that's the way it is. And I'm sure we're all very happy. I wouldn't be very happy if I only had one program every six months. Um, but it's worth knowing that as a singer
0: because...
2: Yeah. I think it tells, it gives us, if nothing else, I think it should give the singer an attitude of respect towards the instrumentalist they work with, which I would say in the music college environment, I didn't think was always there. I must say, yeah. in the profession, in the profession, it's completely different. In the profession, I really think that the singers who are actually working, not only are they brilliant, but they they have made it there because they are they are fine colleagues. They 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 have a a, a perspective and understanding of of. The whole musical organism, whatever the the whole universe of this stuff and they have a degree of empathy and and understanding which makes it a pleasure to work with them, i guess yeah, mm. yeah,
1: I totally understand would you that.
2: say you sort of touched on it as well
0: about would you say this is a fair generalization also that perhaps Singers tend to have smaller repertoires and smaller frames of reference to a piece of music than perhaps instrumentalists, because just because, you know, instrumentalists, you might be doing, you know, a chamber concert of. I don't know Martineau or something, and then the next day be doing some Schubert repertoire with a singer or something.
2: Yeah, again, I guess I would say, like, in the education we have in the way we are brought up, certainly, if we're talking about the UK scene and the kind of scene we were educated through, it did seem the case that instrumentalists had a much wider knowledge of general repertoire sort of outside. You know, I I know symphonies, not a huge number of them, I, I don't think I know as many as I would like to, but. I have an interest in symphonic music and I I have symphonies that I enjoy and I love listening to solo piano music and also song repertoire. And again, there are a huge number of singers who have this absolute love for music in all its forms. And to me, it seems kind of crazy that you can sort of be super passionate about the songs of Mahler but not know the symphonies because it's the the same guy. So I would say that if you are, if you are someone that feels like you don't have a huge knowledge of repertoire outside of your own uh, focus, I would say it's, it's a massive joy and benefit too, because you discover facets of the same composers and, that you, influences that influence of that is yeah, into the exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah into totally the i mean just now just now i was I've, the last thing i did was i played poulenc la voix humaine last week and in the final two pages of that score there's a quote from the poulenc clarinet sonata and i was like ah it's kind of fun to know that this guy is literally using the same theme in these two pieces and i was like okay well which one came first and i wonder why he put it here but, you know all these questions became interesting to me because mm. i played the clarinet sonata and i was like i know that theme and if i hadn't played the clarinet sonata it actually took it would have taken away some context some expressive context to a really powerful moment in that score so and vice versa the next time i play the pulant clarinet sonata i'm really gonna have the specific scenario of the finale of la voix humaine in mind and think okay well is this the kind of world poulenc is painting in the whole movement like is this whole movement a kind of tragic lament is that why he's used the same material like it's it's just interesting and of course that's like a really small example but it's just we can find out so much about the music we love by listening to other music by the same composers
1: totally i Mm. think it's funny Mm -hmm. as well like from from my perspective um I'm always slightly terrified of people that can, like, quote every bar of, like, because I'm literally, Terrifying. like, why and how. There's but other been, stuff. But also it's, like, my frame of reference is, is broader and not yeah. as detailed. It's like you know, I could quote you this symphony or that symphony.
2: I think there's kind of like a lot of willy waving that happens. Like again, in like in the, is, can that go on the <laughs> Yeah, I would have said dick waving, but yeah, love it. Yeah, get willy it all. Just like better, yeah, it feels quite like infantile to say willy waving. But like you know, like I still think that like when we were at university and at music college, that people would sort of like show off their knowledge in an attempt to make other people feel small. And I remember thinking, oh, oh my goodness, all the time. I know. I remember thinking, I know nothing. You know, these people, these people that sort of can hum i mean there were also i remember ridiculous interview questions where someone would ask you like hum this symphony it's like what does that show it shows nothing like it doesn't if i just if i'm ignorant on a piece of music it doesn't that doesn't mean I don't I'm not a good musician. It just means that there's a gap in my in this particular area. And I think if there were if there were less of that, ironically, all of that pressure from other people saying all this stuff it didn't make me want to go and look. It actually made me terrified to go and look at more. And really? I would I would rather the environment were one where we said look guys music is this massive thing it's one massive thing and you're happening to zoom in on a particular area of it but the whole way through your education we're going to expose you to a whole variety of stuff that's just going to really enrich your experience and your love for it because at the end of the day like for me it's about love for it i don't spend my free time listening to songs i really don't that's good to hear I, i i sometimes i sometimes might get the urge to listen to something like the other night i just had a real urge to listen to this duet by schumann uh but most of the time, if I'm listening to music in my free time, it is other stuff yes, because of I just love music and I want That's to listen normal. to stuff. Yeah, it's normal, yeah. and I don't think our education necessarily encouraged that as normal.
1: No, not at not all. Not at all.
2: Actually, Certainly something not I for find though,
1: oh yeah, something I find is like having left university. What I love is like exploring new stuff because I'm like, I'm never gonna know it all, never and so now that I've come to peace with the fact that I'm never going to know all this like oh it's really exciting to like try this on for size or you know try listening to this and just see how I feel but for me I was so terrified by the people at university that could quote everything that I really quickly was like I have to know all these pieces really quickly so like I can do the same thing and even now it's like you know when you go into a rehearsal room and everybody just seems to know every single bloody bar of this opera like back to front I'm like but also, actually, in that context, I really don't want to know it. I'm like, I'm fine.
2: <laughs> no. I'm fine
1: with the general, <laughs> general gist. I'm cool, guys.
2: Yeah. yeah, and the other thing I think, I mean, I've certainly found this, is that, like, when I, a part of me thinks, maybe I wish, I wish I'd wish discovered this earlier, but maybe it is actually something which is, I'm glad I've discovered it in my own time and at this stage, is that when I'm struggling interpretively with questions of phrasing or Compositional intention like what does schubert mean when he uses this thing or like i wonder what he's why this at this point i find it so useful rather than listening to x many recordings of that song which is actually it's pretty contextless is to go and listen to like solo sonatas symphonies chamber music and see okay like what does this guy how do other instrumentalists we haven't talked about this yet but this is this is kind of a good question about like what we can learn from each other right here it comes. Of, hello of like what how do other people interpret the same notation because so much mm. of it is, is about notational interpretation like and i think we so often can miss the mark we can we we come up with some theory about what a notation means what, what a notational symbol indicates so for example uh in schubert the question of the accent versus the, f- oh the diminuendo like is it an accent mm-hmm. marking or is it a diminuendo marking like this is we can get we can become so like obsessed a song pianist just like obsessing over this thing in one bar of one song and actually it's a broader question it's a question of schubert's notation in general and seeing how he uses this notation in other contexts gives you a sense of either his specificity and his consistency Or in some composers' cases, their inconsistency and their openness to like their flexibility with notation and and how it should be realised. Singers have text and text specifies intention more easily than purely musical stuff does. Like when you have words and you have music to the words, the text, if you're unsure like what the mood is of the music, the text can help make it clear right
1: um i actually would contest that in cases i don't think it does because it's like what they mean and what they say are not the same thing depending on the nice. situation you mean. No, nice yeah yes. sometimes
2: there's a disconnect between those two things different Dibri- yeah, dramatic sure. irony for sure but uh, one thing i would say is that like as singers you're always thinking about intention like the specificity of the expressive thing is like always front of mind before you sing, you must breathe before you breathe you must think Yes, right? yes. That, that yes, thought, yes, breath, yes. sing thing is constant. I would say that instrumentalists, and this is totally generalised, and of course the, the world's finest instrumentalists absolutely do this. They communicate completely in their music making. But I think it's much easier in instrumental make, music making to forget about intention and, and kind of just make music that's beautiful yeah. and sounds nice, but isn't necessarily yeah. totally focused in its expressive aims. So like I've started now putting words to solo music, either like solo pieces or like passages of solo in a song. I actually put text to the music that I'm playing ah. so that I'm still- I remember you
1: doing that. Yeah. And I thought it was such a good idea. I remember you talking about this a few years back yeah, and I was like, that's not, smart as fuck. Not
2: my yeah. idea. Like this was Audrey Highland who told me about this, but I've, I've uh. kind of taken it I've taken it to like a bit of an extreme, and I basically do it literally every so- time I have an interlude, even if it's like two wow. bars. There's something that I'm saying, yeah, so that sure. I, so that so that I just remember that like the purpose of this is to express something.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I um. Because sometimes actually I found, uh, I think we were talking about this with you in terms of song, and sometimes when there are these introductions or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, moments in between the verses that we're singing, uh, where, where am I going? Where's my head going? Like, how am I changing my train of thought? And actually I found like writing words... Yeah. Over the piano music just helped give me as you say direction and intention and it helped make the journey th- for me clearer yeah whatever the change in mood or, or
2: Yeah and it's, ha- it's I think it, it stops you if if you're talking about in song like putting words to the bits where the singer's not singing it stops both people from slipping out of the story when the words stop and it also forces the singer to look at the music just the piano part for those bars and interrogate where in the piano part is the new thought coming? Like where, what is the impetus for the next thing I sing? Do I create the impetus or does the pianist create the impetus? And if so, where does the precise, like I think it's such a precise art to know where the thought is, therefore where the breath comes, therefore what the sound is. But the sound is just the result. The sound is a thing that happens as a result of breathing. And we only breathe when we have something that makes us speak, right? Yeah.
1: Yep. seconded.
2: So are you saying that
0: we, uh, singers should learn from instrumentalists in the sense that because they're not obsession with what's going on in the score, but actually looking carefully in detail?
2: Yeah, I, I, and I think vice versa. I think we can all learn from how other people work with the material they're given so for example you know i'm sure you've both heard it a lot in singing lessons and i I use it a lot of telling telling singers to you know think like a cello or something and and i think and and instrumentalism i I get told all the time in so many lessons and rehearsals i'm told sing sing play you know really sing that melody sing that melody and it's wouldn't it be easier for us to learn from each other if we actually knew something about the other person's repertoire and mechanism like when someone says to me to sing a melody, I'm actually I'm kind of able to do that now, and I really do think vocally. I think about the specific rubato of of a vocalist, and you know, if you're playing Chopin nocturnes, then a knowledge of Bellini belcanto phrasing is indispensable because you 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 get a sense of okay, how the left hand is the orchestra, and that Chopin said that himself that the left hand is the orchestra, and and the right hand is well, no, the left hand is the conductor, and the right hand should be free. But Don't get this wrong. When you're Staying doing like public. if you're doing Bellini aria, the orchestra just kind of doesn't accommodate you. They just kind of ba da da And you have to do all your twiddly twiddly twiddlies. Yeah, name really? that aria. Yeah, hello. <laughs> <Warm-er>. um, <laughs> um and you do your twiddly twiddlies or wh- wh- however you however feels uh good within stylistic reasons blah 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 blah, but you you can't just do it metronomically. And then you listen to instrumentalists sometimes playing melodies and it's completely sort of without rubato and completely robotic. And you just think you're not breathing into this. You're You're not giving air. You're not thinking vocally. But how can they think vocally if they've never experienced singing?
1: Totally, yeah.
2: And vice versa for singers. I think singers could learn a huge amount from the precision and detail with which specifically instrumentalists who work in ensembles play with. So, for example, I think solo pianists are a bad example because as when I play solo or others must play solo, we, we are in complete control of tempo. So, it's very easy to lose all sense of pulse and just ran, do random a robotish phrasing, which is just like nonsense. If you're a string player in, in an ensemble or a quartet or, a, or an orchestra, you have to do all this expressive stuff, but you've got to stay within a, a, a pulse frame. Singers, my goodness, could learn so much from that the discipline Mm. of this, of of not have of of not having the freedom to just do whatever you want, how you want, when you want, as suits your as suits your breath or as suits your voice on this day. But actually to say, well, no, what does the music demand? What are the musical options here? Like within the limits of what my voice can do today, I still have to do something that works musically. And I don't, again, at the education level, like, I don't always hear that. I, I do hear singers that just kind of do something because it suits them. It's like, oh, I think yep. this song's about this. It's like, well, I don't care what you think the song's about. Look at the music. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. the music will tell you what this song is about. And if your idea hasn't come from the music, then it's not a valid idea.
1: Nice. Brutal, Kevl. I love it. Yeah, I like that. Strong. Tell the people. In
2: general. In, ge- in, in general, like... As, like interpretation isn't like it's not some like airy fairy thing that we discover like on our sofas or in our dreams interpretation is the using of our imagination in the service of understanding what the music and the poetry are doing so if your if your ideas don't come from the music and the poetry then where are they coming from then yeah, you're e- then it's ego. Then it's ego, and then it's yes. Me- then hello. it's not. Kevin for
1: president, man. Yeah, I'm here for this. This president is everything of that drives of what? me. what? Of what?
2: of yeah, Singing. I
0: don't bet. <laughs> singing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I would I would say in line with what you're saying as well, in, and this idea of what we can learn from each other. I think um, in singing context as well. I think we're obviously we've, we've done a fair bit now of like opera bass singing, and it's like for me mm. there is so much that I feel. At, at times opera singers could learn from ensemble work, vocal ensemble work, or just instrumental ensemble players. Because for me, that's where I'm like, you are not used to listening in in mm. the, the necessary way that means, oh, you're aware of this part and this part and how you fit in that texture, you know, mm. versus being like the one voice right? and then piano It's selfish.
0: Singers are selfish. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I not don't know, us.
1: I I, do, uh, I think being a musician is is a really particular career choice and I, I often think it's, particularly thinking of some of the singers I work with, you know, it's, it's, it's education and the systems that they've been through that have encouraged certain different kinds of behaviour and I think, you know, certainly out here, the choral system is not a common system that you go through that and then you go on to, you know, solo singing of whatever description. So it's like a lot of people here, just ensemble singing just does mm. not... Factor or figure or feature And then it makes singing in ensembles For example, the finale of Mozart's Così Fan Act 1 That is complex, that is big That is a lot of voices Long. singing at once But if you're not used to singing with other singers It becomes just this right. Big, Chaos. intangible yeah.
2: mess And I think on the same, on the same level or In the same vein it's, That's why I'm a massive advocate For singers learning instruments Yeah uh, like In the younger... Uh, even if it's just like as part of the training and yeah. for instrumentalists to do some singing. So we just like the more the broader your musical education is, the more I guess we would identify as musicians first and singer second or pianist second. Like I yeah. I sometimes forget that and I I think that I'm a pianist. It's like Kevin, you you've got to be a musician first and you've got to like you've got to have mm. a love for music as a, as an expressive art. Yeah. then you can, you can apply that and focus that through the piano. You can channel it through the piano. But the piano is not the be all and end all. And your the four walls of your musical universe don't end with the piano. Because yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing that sometimes singers can get into, especially, again, because you're in this very, like, you know, often quite intense environment surrounded only by other singers. Whereas as instrumentalists, we are surrounded by other instrumentals from different disciplines. Like mm, mm. I had friends who were violinists or trumpet players or clarinet players. And so just the musical universe I was educated in growing up was that much more diverse. And I think like about my singer friends from like school age, like at the junior academy and stuff. And even at that stage, like singers had their own little, they had their own system. They had their own area of the school where they worked. They had their own class is their own schedule that was independent of the rest of the building and so at that age 13 14 we were uh entrenching this idea that yeah. singing is one thing and then music is something else and
1: so stupid it's
2: it's not necessary i mean i totally get that the singing if we go back to a chat of differences that singing and preparing for life as a singer does have certain kinds of classes and skills that are unique language mm-hmm, classes, mm-hmm. movement classes, stagecraft, acting. These are things that a cellist does not need in such intensity, although I do think movement would be great for all of us. Yeah. Um but there st- somehow still needs to be somewhere a forum in which the love and interest and curiosity for music more generally is honed. Yeah. Like really yeah. the singers that I've, I the, the, the singers that I've had the I've had massive honor of playing with some singers who are just absolutely extraordinary musicians, and that is so inspiring. And it, it, it makes their singing. I think it's a big part of why their singing is so effective.
1: Totally, I can completely understand that. And I mean, you've had you've had an incredible year, kind of so far, you know, or season, whatever we call it these days. Um, I'm wondering what's coming up. Like, what are the next things you're looking forward to that you're excited about?
2: Uh, yeah, this season has been. I feel very, very lucky. Like this season has been amazing and uh, full of really nice things with great people. And I've learned a huge amount. Uh, I am looking forward to having a slightly quieter time for a while. So um, I've got a nice recital in Germany in two weeks time with Theo, uh, which has come off the back of that competition we won a few months back. But that, that's my that's my last thing. That's my last proper thing for this year. I'm going to New York in December to see my boyfriend. Um, Nice, and that's going to be really nice. And I will do a bit of like, there will be some. Are you there
1: over Christmas, Christmas? No,
2: no, we're staying until I think like the twenty first, and then coming back to the UK. But it will will be be like magical, and I've already seen that they're doing like we're going to go to the Nine Lessons and Carols at St Thomas's Fifth Avenue, and stop. It will I'm, be I'm so just, nice. Uh, I am still going to do some remote teaching, and like there'll be some, New York's a great place to do some networking and meet some new people and blah, 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 nice. blah. Nice. Yeah. And you'll have a good time and relax. It, yeah. I okay. will have a but. nice time. Yeah. And then professionally, <laughs> next year it looks really nice. I'm doing, I'm going to Oslo and Stockholm in January and February to do some teaching. Yeah. Uh, Which would be really nice. Uh, I've got some lovely recitals coming up and doing a Radio 3 recital in March and this thing in Salzburg is quite exciting. Exciting. Um, mm. And yeah, it's lots it's of all nice things. coming up
1: careful, I lots say. Lots of different oh, things as well. It's all coming up nice. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, exactly as
0: you say. Oh, yeah.
2: Smorgasbord nice of stuff. Yeah, Love good it, yeah. Scandinavian word. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it, for me, it's like, I don't think I necessarily considered actively that I wanted to have a, like a diverse mix of things in my professional life but I'm very very glad it's happened like this and I mean if I'm honest it stemmed from not in the early days not having enough concert work at all like I got into teaching at at first like in my when we were studying for our masters I did some teaching because I needed money yeah and no one Mm. was gonna pay me to play the piano at that point so god no and you know (sighs) and and thankfully like I it turned out I really like teaching so I'm doing more of it and the radio stuff has been great because that's like fact we've got i've got a new program coming out in the new year about kaya sariaho and her oh, she's had her big 70th birthday this year and a massive yeah, yeah, new yeah. opera and stuff so that's oh, kind sure. of a nice opportunity to to showcase like even more about her to people and uh yes where can people find you Kettle? yeah if they Most want to know more kebils where do they go Oh, like physically? You can find me in Helsinki a lot of That's the time. That's weird. Don't give your address. <laughs> Beep that out. Thanks. <laughs> um, they can find me flying across the world. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> So I am on Twitter at Kevil S. Sharp. Uh, my website is kevel hyphen sadly kevil was taken so i now have a hyphen in my name not an underscore somebody made this mistake recently and was like i couldn't find you and i was like that's because you're saying kevil underscore sharp. <laughs> and then i'm on instagram for my sins uh, at kevil sharp piano
1: thank you so much for coming on the pod kevil it's been an absolute joy and uh we'll look forward to seeing and hearing you soon
2: thank you guys i'm so happy to like have been a part of this like finally i've been listening to this for so long and like was so excited when it first started and like it's nice to be part of it so thanks for inviting me
0: all cast all cast this is your five minute call repeat all cast all cast this is your five minute call
1: Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch with your thoughts, comments and ideas on what you've heard. How can people get in touch with us, Alex?
0: I think maybe an email is nice. Uh, Our email address is wheresmyfreakingdressingroom at gmail.com. Of course, we also have our beautiful website. The address is www.wheresmyfreakingdressingroom.com.
1: We're also on social media. You can catch us on Instagram at dressingroompod.com. Facebook forward slash Dressing Room Pod or Twitter at Dressing Room P-O-1.
0: Don't forget to like and subscribe and give us a beautiful five-star review. Join us next week for a super special mini-series inspired by the Voice of Black Opera competition. We not only chat to two of the brilliant singers who are through to the grand final, but we also speak with Vincent Osborne, who is the founder of the Black British Classical Foundation. Don't miss it. Bye. Bye!